Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, everyone. This evening, my special guest is multi-award-winning poet Anne-Marie Wells. The title of Anne-Marie's book of poetry is Survived By. Welcome to the program, Anne-Marie. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Let's begin this poetic evening. Anne-Marie, what is poetry? To me, poetry is a means of expression. It doesn't necessarily have to be with words. I believe that nature can be poetry, that dance can be poetry, that painting can be poetry. But for, for my purposes in my life, poetry is my self-expression through words. Tell me more before I ask the second question or third one about the nature piece that po- that nature can be poetry. Tell me more about that. I like that concept. I think lots of different things can be poetry. I mm-hmm. I often say in my day-to-day life, there's a poem in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> whether it's I'm looking at a bird that just flew into the bushes outside of my window mm-hmm. and I'm connecting with that that creature in that split moment, I feel like there could be a poem in there. Um, when I'm going for a walk and I'm contempla- contemplating something and I need a sign from the universe and a gush of wind blows and a torrent of cherry blossoms falls into my hair, to me, that's poetry. All of these beautiful moments of happenstance whether they happen in nature or if it just happens to be a kind stranger who opens the door for me or um, different moments in my life that feel too good to be just coincidence, I feel like that's poetry as well. Wow. Wonderfully stated. I'm going to steal that from you. That was beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Why is poetry important, Anne-Marie? I think poetry is important because it's important for us as human beings to express ourselves. It's the way that we connect to one another. It's the way that we build empathy with one another. It's the way that we can see each other's humanity is by self-expression. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I believe that poetry has the capacity to expand hearts, to expand minds, to expand spirits. It allows the reader or the listener to see the world through another perspective. It allows okay. the reader or listener to feel seen if mm-hmm. they have experienced 
something similar that the poet is describing, but they themselves have not been able to put that experience into words, that a poet can do it for them and they can connect mm -hmm. with those words. Wow. I, I believe that poetry is the key to joy, is the key to, um, to peace. And I believe that poetry is a means for us to deepen our senses of connection to each other in this world. Oh, wow. Very nice. I can tell that you're an excellent instructor. Wow. I want to take some of your classes. <laughs> I'm serious. So you're well, good. Uh, right. if, if, you are, if you want to join my class, my next class starts in the fall in August through the Community Literature Initiative, and you can oh. sign up or uh, you can apply to the program through communitylit.org. Right. You're great. <laughs> You know, you mentioned empathy. What does empathy mean to you? Mm -hmm. Let's see. Empathy. Empathy to me is being willing to see a situation from another person's perspective that you can imagine not necessarily how you would feel in the situation, mm -hmm. but you can imagine how they feel in the situation. Mm -hmm. Empathy is using your heart and mind to understand another person's emotions, another person's thoughts and feelings surrounding a particular subject or particular life experience. Not, it, it may start with how would I feel if I were in their shoes? And then I think that there's an, another deeper level of I'm imagining how they feel, how this person with their life experiences that are different from my own, how those experiences can shape that person's perspective. And I'm capable of understanding all of those nuances and complexities from their perspective and not just my own. You know, for many years I traveled the country as a performance poet, but also different conferences. And one of my claims to fame is that I developed a model, an empathy model that could be used in terms of assisting people understand different differences, different lived experiences through poetry. So Ooh, I love that. Tell me more. Yes. Can you tell me yes. more about we'll, that? We'll talk. <laughs> okay. We'll talk. <laughs> we'll talk. I have an article in the in the Journal of Poetry Therapy, uh, mm. published in 2003. But I'll, I'll send you that. Mm. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's focus. I would be eager to read it. <laughs> All right. Let's focus. All right. <laughs> Please share with me, Anne Marie early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Wow. Um, an early experience where I learned poetry had power. Um, well, I have to be honest that poetry hadn't come into my life until recently. It wasn't until the winter 2019 that I started writing poetry and really took a deep interest in it. 
I had attended poetry workshops only because I worked for a literary nonprofit in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I, I worked for the Jackson Hole Writers Conference. But -hmm. at the time I was more interested in writing plays and writing my memoir, nonfiction, creative nonfiction, and attended poetry workshops only because they were just happened to be happening with my, with my work, but never took poetry very seriously. In my early years, my exposure to poetry was really limited to children's poetry of Dr. Shel Silverstein. I didn't have much exposure to poetry outside of that. And even if we, if I studied it in high school, I'm sure that it was Robert Frost and Wordsworth and E.E. Cummings and, um, more more classical poets and not modern slam poets or um, more contemporary poets. Mm-hmm. So it, it really wasn't until um, maybe I want to say December of 2019. So at the, the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, that I started consuming poetry and devouring it more than consuming it of yes well you know more and more right well as i again read your bio i mean you only started a couple of years ago and the awards you've won a one as well as been nominated for you must write exceptionally well Wow. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) 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 Your bio doesn't lie. You've done well. (laughs) When I I get interested in something, I I dive fully into it. So poetry has never been a casual, casual thing for me. It was once, once I was, hooked on it then I read poetry craft books and I watched YouTube videos I uh, went back to school and got my associate's degree in English and I attended every and it it was during the time of the pandemic when a lot of the workshops across the country were forced to go virtual but in doing so it also gave me more access to resources to learn more and to expand my craft and learn more about the craft of poetry in a short period of time. I took workshop after workshop and was signed up for every class that was free and accessible over the internet. And, um, and, and that definitely helped me to grow in my craft more quickly. Amazing. 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 So when you write poetry, what are some of the predominant themes? Mm. In the beginning of my poetry journey, my poetry was centered around my father's terminal cancer diagnosis and his illness. I don't think I wrote a poem about anything else for two years, maybe. It's, it felt like I didn't have anything else to write about. All I wrote about was my my experience, my relationship with my father, my observations of my family members, 
and maybe actually I did I did write poems because I was <laughs> of other subjects because I was in a relationship at the time so I wrote mm-hmm. some poems about my relationship at the time both love poems and breakup poems um but the the themes that got me through that experience was it was more just a catharsis of focusing on that topic and getting all of my emotions out sharing all of my thoughts so that they weren't boxed up inside now that I, i wouldn't say that i'm over it by any means but I do write about other subjects, including day-to-day subjects, just mm-hmm. how I mentioned earlier, how looking out my window and seeing the bird in the bushes might elicit a feeling or um, um, a memory, and and I'll write about the bird in the bush or about mm-hmm. buying a cherimoya plant <laughs> the other day <laughs> or right. about driving to visit my mother on the highway um mm-hmm. so the the subjects are are more diverse now so anything anything can be a poem and i try to write every day so a lot of my poems <laughs> maybe are lower well i don't want to say lower quality but that they're they're just practice they're just mm. um exercises they're not necessarily poems that i'm planning on publishing some end up being poems that I publish because they go through revisions and I'm able to strengthen them and um, alter them in ways that make them in my mind (laughs) more authentic to what I'm trying to say. And yeah, I'll I'll stop. All right. (laughs) Well, I can tell you enjoy what you do. (laughs) You know, Montel's Kalu is attributed with making the following statement. Poetry is like a canvas. You can paint picture with it. And that sounds like what you do. Correct mm-hmm. me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong. I, I definitely believe that poetry is a canvas. And um, so, some people even take that canvas and turn it into a sculpture. <laughs> I, I think true. that you can, you can do more than just paint with it as well, you can really u- utilize poetry and turn it into what you want, especially we have such a diverse use of poetic forms. I love books of collections of found poetry. Uh, Sarah J. Sloat put together a collection, Hotel Almighty, which is all uh, erasures from Stephen King's novel, Misery. So you can really take poetry and and you can create whatever you want from it and experiment. There's hybrid forms now. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I love I love exploring all of the different ways that poetry as a canvas can be works of art in, in many different media. Yes. Well, Anne Marie, without further ado, please share Paul. <laughs> sure, thank you. Um so I'm going to share an excerpt from the opening poem in my collection called September. So my my collection survived by, it's a memoir in verse. So it, it goes chronolo- chronologically with learning of my dad's terminal cancer diagnosis, 
caring for him through his illness, his passing away, and then my subsequent grief. And in between those different chapters, I also have uh, shorter poems that are reflective of my feelings or experiences during those time periods. But the memoir in verse began as blog posts, actually. And my blog posts really were just um, a means for me to explain to everybody in my world what was going on without me having to do it 150 times each individually for each person. Mm-hmm. And so I just put it up on my blog. But then later, as I was curating this collection, I, w- I was exploring the option of a memoir in verse being inspired by Jacqueline Woodson's Brown Girl Dreaming and other novels in verse, mostly for young adult and middle grade uh, readers, but exploring what that might look like in my own writing craft. And as I was just experimenting with that, I decided that I really did enjoy transforming my prose and my casual prose into more of a poetic voice and adding line breaks, adding descriptive language, imagery, metaphors. And so I'm going to share an excerpt from the first chapter of my book, September. Before I hang up with mom, I try to ask her, what should I do? The words can't wrestle themselves out from the weight of my wails. Honey, I can't understand you. Say it again. My mom sounds as if this is a normal conversation about my work or the dogs or the latest hurricane to Bronco toward the East Coast. Should I come home? I say louder, taking my time to cradle each word in my mouth, to roll each letter around my tongue like a lozenge. Sure, you can come home whenever you want. Her tone still sounds like she is responding to, hey, I have nothing better to do. Would it be okay if I come home for a visit? And not, should I come home to be with dad before he dies? No, no, no. Frustration barrels out from the pit in my stomach. She isn't understanding or is pretending not to. Should I come home to be with you? If it's going to be six months, I'll quit my job, sell my things, leave Wyoming. I'll come to Florida and be with you. But if it's going to be five years, honey, mom interrupts, and I hear the strain in the clench of her molars. It's not going to be five years, honey. Thank you. I need a second to to process what I've just heard. The title of the book, Survived By, is really mm-hmm. is interesting. Tell me more about the title. Yes. So Survived By is a common expression that one finds in an obituary. Mm-hmm. I survived my father in his obituary. It says 
he is survived by his yes. daughter, okay. Anne-Marie Wells. Yes. Okay. But also, mm-hmm. but also this collection is the way I was able to survive this experience. I survived mm-hmm. by writing these poems, by creating this homage to my father, by also listening to others in my world express that my poems helped them, that they they were experiencing something similar. And at the time reading my blogs and then later reading my poems and now reading my book helps them put to words what they couldn't put to words themselves. It has creating this collection helped me to survive, but I'm also Mm -hmm. hoping that this collection will help others to navigate their own grief journeys. And in Mm -hmm. that way, they survived by reading the book. I survived by writing the book and hopefully they can navigate their grief journeys by reading the book. You know, that is one of my questions. Are you hoping this book will resonate with a broad range of readers or are you targeting a specific audience? I think that people will be able to take away a variety of different um, emotions reading this mm-hmm. book. However, it really is geared toward those who have experienced acute loss. Mm. And I, I know that folks, not everybody is very close with their parents or with their fathers. And so for them reading a book about losing a father and it being a very emotional and traumatizing event might not resonate. However, I don't feel that people have to have lost a father in order to understand or to see themselves in this collection. They can have lost anybody and still have those same emotions that I'm expressing or those same feelings of helplessness or hopelessness or feeling, feeling alone in the world, even though you're surrounded by friends and family and well-meaning people (laughs) wishing you well. And so I, I, I think that in writing this, it was geared toward those who have experienced loss. But I think that even if you haven't experienced loss, that people reading it can still be touched by it. All right. Please share another poem. Sure. I will read. Um, I will read one of the short poems that appears in between the chapters. Cast iron sky seals a chlorophyll tunnel. Corn stalks waving hello as they whisper so long. I squint, hypnotized by honey dashes, daydreaming of the prayers each ear sends into the ether. If they might, if I asked, would they use their spears as steeples, form an acre's large congregation to build a miracle out of meager material? Thank you. Mm. I'd also like to know more about the cover. The little mm-hmm. girl, is that you? It is, yes. I'm three years old in that picture. Oh, three years old. Mm. Mm. 
May I ask your father's name? Yes, his name is Terry Wells, Terry Raymond Wells. My mother right. took this picture of us. Mm-hmm. We were on a family family trip, not very, not a vacation. I don't think we stayed overnight. I grew up in upstate New York, and mm-hmm. we took a day trip to Niagara Falls. And my mother took this picture of me on top of my dad's shoulders in front of the falls with the mist behind us. But mm. this image it is the original image, which is why you see scratches and little <laughs> um, mar marks, and it's a little bit it's a little bit blurry. But the the image also was a little bit manipulated. It, there was a an ombre put on it, a little bit of a haze over top of it. I wanted mm-hmm. the cover to have a little bit of a ghostly feel, so that yes. it didn't feel crisp and bright, that it felt a little bit more muted and um, as if it was fading away a little bit. Amory. Yes. Based on what you know about the world now, mm. does it hurt you to write poems? If not, why not? Hmm. Does it hurt me to write poems? Um, well, Uh, I definitely cry writing poems sometimes, so I wouldn't necessarily say that that means that it hurts. Okay. If it, if it does hurt, maybe it's like um, scratching a mosquito bite (laughs) (laughs) where it kind of hurts to scratch it, but then it also relieves this restlessness that you feel. Mm -hmm. All right. And I I feel like it, it hurts me more to not write poems that, even on subjects that are painful, like loss or Mm -hmm. a breakup or um, about war or about injustice in the world, that it does more good than it could possibly do harm. And in fact, I feel like holding our words inside of us does do more harm than writing the poem ever could. Wow. What were some of the key challenges you faced when you were writing this book? Hmm. Um, I think finding exactly what I wanted this book to be. So Mm -hmm. a previous iteration of Survived By, um, A previous iteration actually had this book split into six sections, three sections dedicated to my father. So that was uh, learning of his diagnosis, his illness, and his death. And then three sections were dedicated more to my romantic life. So it was Mm -hmm. about the relationship that I was in at that time, its deterioration, And then me finding new love. And I completed that book and I I felt proud of it. It still had the same title, Survived By, but it wasn't getting picked up anywhere. And I had a couple interviews with publishers. A couple publishers asked for the full manuscript to read, but I was receiving no after no. And Mm -hmm. I I felt frustrated by that. And felt like I was hitting a wall with the progress of the book, but 
it also forced me to reconsider how what what this what this book really was and so i ended up re revisiting its structure and mm-hmm. that's when i decided to take out the sections with love poems and breakup poems and instead in its place i i started transforming those blog posts into longer form poems and my collection then became the memoir in verse that it currently is and it was it was challenging (laughs) it was challenging in the fact that uh being vulnerable and opening yourself up to rejection is hard and especially when a collection means so much to you which i'm sure every poet Every collection yes. means so much to them. Yes. But I also felt like I had an extra mission to bring this book into the world as a means of having my father's legacy um, mm-hmm. last forever as well, or at least last for as long as I'm in the world. And and it, it just meant so much to me to be able to do that. And because that was really my goal, it was, it felt almost obvious, but it mm-hmm. wasn't at the time that this book needed to be about my relationship with my father and only about that and not about my relationships outside of my fa- my familial relationships or my yes. observations of them. So that was a challenge of recognizing what needed to um, what needed to, what needed to be cut in order for what needed to be pruned in order for this collection to truly blossom into the work of art that, that it became. Wow. So, um, yeah, that was, that was challenging. And I'm, but I'm glad for the challenge. I'm happy that I went through that experience because I feel even more proud of the collection that I currently have. And I think it speaks to um, the, success of that decision that shortly after I changed the structure of my book and I started sending it out again, that it was picked up by a publisher just a couple months later. So that is nice. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Mm -hmm. the word pruning. Some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once Mm -hmm. it's out there, there's not that you can do to correct or improve it. Others Mm -hmm. edit meticulously not leaving much from the original draft form. So what is your take on the editing process? Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm constantly editing my poems. And in (laughs) fact, as I read meager material, I changed it a little bit just in the moment, just, you know, just a little bit, just a little Mm -hmm. bit. And, (laughs) And that's because that's how the poem feels like to me today. So Mm -hmm. I, I have many different iterations, but many of the poems that are in this collection that were previously published in literary magazines and literary journals or online blogs, they are different. Even the titles are different. The essence of the poem is the same, but line breaks are different or certain words are different or, you know, just just little changes here or there. And mm-hmm. And I, I think that's normal, but maybe it's just a personality thing that I'm 
consistently learning new things, learning new uh, strategies for the craft, or I'm being influenced by different artists or different different poets' work. And so then when I revisit my old poems, I see them through new lenses, the lenses mm. of what I have newly learned or experienced. And then I want those poems to reflect who I, I am in this moment and, mm-hmm. and, and maybe change a word or change a line break, maybe change the title, mm-hmm. or maybe I completely revamp the poem and it becomes something completely new. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that that's kind of how I work. I imagine I'll be 85 going through <laughs> this collection and I'll be making edits to it. Making it. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's a living, breathing thing. I understand. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a brief break and we'll be right back. another excerpt from my memoir in verse and this excerpt comes from October and one of the one of the concepts that helped me through the stages of grief and helps me still is finding moments of gratitude and it sounds trite Mm-hmm. And when you are going through the most awful experience of your life, yes. you can't possibly think of what you might be grateful for. But I, I write in my collection that my sadness is a thousand foot well. Gratitude is a rope keeping me from drowning. And focusing on these little glimmers of gratitude kept me from drowning and still do. So this is an excerpt from October. Glimmer of gratitude number one. I love my dad. My close friend Lauren lost her dad to cancer, pancreatic cancer, in July of 2014. He was given a year and lived for six, four of which Lauren described as really good. She and my other friends, loose acquaintances and strangers who have experienced the brutal hollowing of loss, have laid out a map for me. They have been through this journey already, and they are the ones whom I can trust to authentically help me in my own journey into the dank cave. They are the only ones who can describe the skulls lining the catacombs, the only ones who can waft 
the stench of loneliness, who can echo the rasp of futility. She said, so it doesn't last forever, our lives together on earth. That's okay. It's meaningful. And I'd rather have this grief than a dad I don't talk to or hate. We both know people that have horrid parents. It's an honor to love someone so much that their sickness is eviscerating to think about. I never thought I would feel lucky to have pain dripping from my pores, pain stuck to the pads of my fingers, to the bottoms of my feet, to have pain become the core of my identity in an instant. But here I am. Thank you. With what you experienced, who led, you or the poem? Hmm. Sometimes I couldn't tell the difference. Okay. Sometimes I felt mm-hmm. like I was the poem, just writing myself on a piece of paper. Sometimes expound on that for words me, came out of me. Sorry? I said expound on that, please. Yes. What you just said. Sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes words came out of me that I didn't even realize I felt or or observed or thought. Sometimes the poem surprised me when I wrote it, when it came out on the paper, and I thought, oh, wow, do I think that? Oh, wow, am I feeling that? Because I didn't re- realize it until it came out of me almost subconsciously, as if a different part of me was writing the poem. And sometimes when... When people ask me how I come up with my ideas or how I thought about the idea for for a poem, I tell them a ghost told me (laughs) because I honestly don't know. And sometimes it does feel like a ghost is just whispering an idea into my ear and then I just write it out for them. And so in that way, sometimes it feels like I can't differentiate between what is the poem and what is me. Mm. Is it a ghost or a poetic muse? Maybe it's the muse, yes. I I think people describe that feeling in a variety of different ways. Sometimes Mm -hmm. people say it's their ancestors. Sometimes people say it's God. Sometimes Mm -hmm. people say it's their subconscious. Sometimes people say it's the universe. Maybe it's an inexplicable something that allows you to move your pen in a way that you wouldn't have otherwise. And maybe we're not meant to know exactly what that is. You know, accessibility is a topic that people talk about a lot. Mm -hmm. Where would you fit your book? Where would your book fit on an accessibility scale from one to 10? One being Mm -hmm. most accessible and 10 being extremely esoteric that difficult to understand. I definitely don't think my book is difficult to understand by any means. I write in a casual tone of voice. I don't feel like I use any kind of GRE words <laughs> that <All right. laughs> people would have to search for their dictionary or or have to Google to understand what the poem means. I, I really talk or I really write in plain, plain voice. And I, mm-hmm. do, I do have some poetic forms in, in this collection. But 
I don't feel it, I, I I'm not writing in any kind of like archaic Shakespearean English or anything like that. So I I feel like my book is pretty. I w- I would say it's the most accessible. Maybe um, maybe early early readers. Maybe if you're a child, maybe this book wouldn't resonate with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I definitely feel that folks who are in high school who may experience loss mm-hmm. would be able to benefit from this book and be able to see themselves in in these words or people who are in nursing homes I feel like mm-hmm. could could read these poems and see themselves in it as well and not have a hard time reading it by any means or understanding what they mean my mm-hmm. I feel, or I try to write in in plain language that is accessible and doesn't require a, an MFA in creative writing in order to yes. understand it. Yeah. Has a poem you've written, maybe in this collection, ever frightened or humbled you? Hmm. Wow. Um. Yes. <laughs> yes, I would say that. Um, right. I I have um this, especially writing this memoir in verse, mm-hmm. I would say that I was and still am somewhat afraid of what others will think about it, particularly in my family. Okay. Uh, I, I I do write about my relationship at the time, though I don't have love poems dedicated to my former partner. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder uh, what they will think about these moments of describing behind the scenes in my relationship as it's deteriorating. Mm-hmm. Also, I wonder what they will think about my observations of them as mm-hmm. As I'm experiencing my father's illness, what will my mother think about what I write about her? Mm-hmm. What will my sister think about what I write about her? Is what I wrote okay? <laughs> I didn't mm-hmm. ask their permission. <laughs> and, okay. And I, and I didn't ask them to read what I wrote to make sure that they felt like it was accurate or mm-hmm. because I guess part of me also thinks, well, this is my interpretation of what happened. So if it's not okay. their interpretation, that's their own story. But this is my story. I also thought about my former partner, who is a wonderful person. We just, we, you know, we just didn't work out. But mm-hmm. we didn't, we didn't, we weren't toxic. It wasn't like on again, off again. Nobody cheated. Nobody harmed the other person. We just weren't a great match and I tried to convey our breakup fairly without Mm -hmm. trying to make him seem like he's the antagonist in this story or anything because he definitely is and he was very wonderful to me during the time that my father was ill supported me was emotionally Mm -hmm. available um was was all around a wonderful person but I still Part of me wonders, when he reads this, will he be offended? Will he 
will he think that I wrote about him unfairly? And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I would say writing all of those poems definitely scared me and definitely okay. made me worried about putting this collection together. At the mm-hmm. same time, it's vulnerable and um, and I, I, I believe that in being vulnerable myself, then I encourage others to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and vulnerability begets empathy again, mm-hmm. begets a connection with others and shared humanity. Mm-hmm. So I, I wrote them anyway. And I put them in my collection anyway, and I submitted them for publication anyway, and I published them anyway. Well, there must be synchronicity tonight because I was thinking, she did it anyway. (laughs) I was just (laughs) going to say that. Seriously. (laughs) She did it anyway. (laughs) But she did it anyway. Mm -hmm. Yes, even though I was and maybe still am afraid of – what people who are included in this book might think of what I wrote about them. Well, it is your lived experience and you can't deny it. Can't deny it. Mm -hmm. And lived experiences are the stories that people share about themselves and their world. It's what you witnessed, what you felt, what you thought about. Please share another poem. Please share another poem. Sure. Um, So this poem I'm going to read is an excerpt from January. And one of the themes in this book is vulnerability and and maybe also courage. Mm. And this is a section where I describe a moment where I feel that my father displayed courage. My dad's oncologist recommends he no longer pursue treatment. She can see his withered body and spirit. We all can. My mom can't control my dad's cancer, but she can schedule an appointment with his pulmonologist for a second opinion, like a child asking their other parent for permission to go out on a school night. The pulmonologist says my dad can continue treatment. So we go, my father, my mother, and I, for a follow-up with his oncologist who plans a new regimen. Instead of three chemo drugs, only one will course through his cells, raise every village in its wake, no hostages, only casualties. Whether one militia poisons the water or three, the fish still all die. My dad asks, Was it, what is it going to do for me? The oncologist explains to him, to us, how the drug works, details the physiological responses. She and my mom discuss what the second cycle of chemo will look like after that, and I watch my father stare at the ground, the slightest shake of his head. Like a sycamore leaf in November, stem whimpering as it held onto its branch with a weakening grip. I witnessed the moment my father was ready to let go. His vocal cords are as paralyzed as the rest of his body. He can't speak any louder than a whisper. I can see him try to interrupt, see fatigue overtake his attempt. 
He has been sitting upright for over an hour, a long time for him. The exhaustion shows in his shoulders hunched like a sunflower under an overcast sky. I interrupt for him, say what I know he wants to say. Dad, is this what you want to do? Mom and the oncologist stop talking. Or would you rather not? He looks at my mom with welling eyes, says, I'd rather not. She cries into her hands. He says, I'm sorry, dear, I'm sorry, as if he is letting her down. She's spent four months of the bout rubbing his shoulders in the corner of the ring, encouraging him anything is possible, anything. But it's not her body he has to peel off the ground after each blow, not her cauliflower ears, not her bruised kidneys. It's not her blood he spits out. I cannot cure his cancer, but I can rise from my chair, put my arms around both of them, rub my forehead into his arm. I can say, you don't need to be sorry for being lovable, which he is loved by everyone. Tears fill the oncologist's eyes, too. I see the clench in her jaw, watch her swallow the bitterness of her profession. Not everyone can be saved. She agrees continuing treatment will make his life worse. She can't cure his cancer, but she can be honest. I can imagine her going home that night, crying into the arms of the person with the wedding band that matches hers. I couldn't save a patient today, and he's one hell of a nice guy. My dad can't cure his own cancer, but he can control how he spends the life he has left. The oncologist refers him to hospice. She can't cure his cancer, but she can control whether he's comfortable. Now everybody's goal is to control whether he's comfortable. The oncologist says, I'm going to prescribe that you do something you love every day. Today, we watch the Australian Open. Dad loves tennis. And we wait. What do you think your poetry conveys about being human? I think that it conveys that we all experience loss, that we all hurt, Mm -hmm. that we all will suffer in this life. And in recognizing that shared experience, I think that we can then extend greater sensitivity to one another, greater understanding to one another, acceptance to one another, in knowing that we all suffer, in knowing that we will all experience loss, in knowing that we will all experience pain, in reading about others' experiences that we too experience, we feel less alone mm-hmm. and we recognize that we're we're all in this together. Yes. Or at least I hope that that's what it does. But as you know, people hurt people. That's true. You know, the world is full of good, bad, ugly, as well as indifferent. So my question to you is, what do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? 
I think our role is just to to be authentic and to bear witness to to write about about the world and to help people see this greater sense of meaning in all of it. I think mm-hmm. that that's what a poet's role is is to help people find their humanity, to find their connection to one another. And sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to say, do you feel it's a requirement that poets write about current events? Or can you just write about No, rocks? no. I don't think that it's a requirement for poets to write about current events. But I, I think that it's a requirement for poets to write. Just to write, because even if I write about the little bird that's in the bushes outside my window, someone else who reads it might interpret it in a completely different way in their own life because they have their own lens. Mm -hmm. And what that poem means to them could mean something completely different. It could touch them in a way that I didn't even mean to touch them with writing it. So I I think that a, a poet's duty so to speak, a poet's job is to share their perspective with the world, to get those words on the page, but then to share them and to allow other people to read them or listen. All right. All right. I'd like you to share with me the titles of five poems in the book, any five poems. All right. Um, well, I do have the, the different months, but then some of my shorter poems are mm-hmm. – a place in this universe, four quatrains in a line and acceptance of the grudged hope, the bridge to empathy, which I'll, I'll read next. All right. And um, when cardinals appear, let the mice run away with our teeth. And um, one, of my, one of my popular poems that people ask me to read is a poem called Halfway which I will also read for you. And that, that poem is a concrete poem in the shape of a hot air balloon. So it <laughs> appears in, on the page in the shape of a hot air balloon. You know, the purpose of that question is to ask you the following. Entitling the poems in your book, what did you consider? Hmm. Um, in titling the poems, I considered... Um, grounding the reader in the subject of the poem. Mm -hmm. I also have many of my titles come at the end of the poem. For example, the bridge to empathy is the last line of the poem. But I feel like if I put the last line of the poem at the top, then Mm -hmm. it takes away that lightning bolt moment of reading it at the end. Right. So I just turn right. it into the poem's title at the end of the poem. Wow. So I, I consider, does this poem's last line deserve to be emphasized? And if it does, then I turn the last line into the title of the poem. And um, some of the titles ground the reader in the setting, in the time mm-hmm. and place, or... Um, for example, in the title, When Cardinals Appear, it's, a, it's about my 
my feelings when I see the bird up here in my in my yard or on a telephone pole or different place out there. So it's it's allowing the reader to know what has elicited the poem or what has inspired the poem. Um, there there's a lot that can um, <laughs> decide yes. what um, <laughs> what the title is. I have another poem. Um, titled Diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't know what the title of the poem was, um, you you might not know what the poem, maybe you would think that the poem is about a breakup or about um, uh, some other sort of challenge. But then in reading the word diagnosis, then you know that it has to do with that experience of learning of a diagnosis. Wow. Um, so I, I like to sometimes be surprising in my titles as well. All right. Please share, Paul. Yes. So um, like I mentioned before, I'm going to read uh, The Bridge to Empathy. As we were talking about um, how people hurt other people and mm-hmm. how poetry can be a means of connection, what I really learned through loss is that loss grounded me in in exactly what I was expressing earlier, that loss reminded me that everyone will suffer. Mm. And when I'm annoyed with, with somebody or I disagree with someone or I think someone is a real jerk, <laughs> I remind myself that they are human and they will lose and they will experience loss and they will hurt. And it doesn't make me feel better knowing that they will hurt. It just makes me feel better knowing that they are human too. And and none of us are permanent in this world. And in the long scheme of things, it's more important to find the humanity in another person even if they're not finding the humanity in you. Mm -hmm. So this is um, the bridge to empathy. My enemy will someday hold their dying love in their arms and their crooked hole of a mouth screaming anguished into the air will create my next breath. We will share the same chorus of pain the unspoken song that unites us, the universal refrain that asks us to bless this world for its suffering, the only thing that builds the bridge to empathy. Thank you. You know, I truly empathize with you in terms of your experience because currently, right now, I'm in North Carolina caring for my ill father. And mm. uh, so I need we to be to tonight. Today. Yes, I agree. agree. He's in the this other room a, sleeping. This is poetry right here. It's more than a coincidence. I just feel it. Yes, I do too. So if you were to give your readers advice before they purchased Bye Bye, what would it be? Um, well, it, 
I do write on the back of my book that Mm -hmm. I want readers to do with this book what they need to do in order to survive. Mm -hmm. I encourage them to draw on the pages or tear them out, to carry a poem in their pocket or give it to someone else to cross out my words and write their own over top of them, to make a collage, use them as kindling, mm-hmm. anything. And in fact, I designed this book that each of the single poems doesn't have a back. And that's because I wanted to give people space to write their own poem or write mm-hmm. their own interpretations or to write their own thoughts but also that if they wanted to tear a poem out and carry it with them, that they could carry just that one poem with them without having the backside taken out as well. And so my advice would be to destroy this book, (laughs) to, to draw on them or to cross out my words and put the words that are more meaningful to them. If they experienced a loss that wasn't through cancer but was through something else then they could cross out every time I put cancer and put car crash so when they're reading this book they're reading something that's more impactful and meaningful to their own experience and that's what I really want this book to be for everyone who reads it you know we've reached a part of the show where which is truly personal favorite I view it as being a mini poetry concert this is Mm -hmm. an opportunity for you Anne-Marie to share two or three of your pieces back-to-back interruptions for me. You can begin Great. when you're ready. Excellent. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to share uh, another excerpt. So um, this, this collection that I wrote, the memoir in verse, it, it goes through the time that my father was sick until two weeks after he passed away. But then I follow up with uh, two years after he passed away in Mm -hmm. reflection to what I had written um, previously. And so I'm going to read two poems. One is an excerpt from the poem two years later. And then The second poem will be my poem, Halfway, that I mentioned is in the shape of a hot air balloon. All right. Grief Road, I've discovered, is not just swerving among lanes on an endless loop of asphalt. The end of Grief Road is healing. It seems intuitive, but in fact, it is not. While I existed in the eye of grief, I never thought I would describe myself as healed. I suppose I still don't. Healed sounds so finite. As if a balloon archway and red and gold banner beam the word finish into the distance with a giant stopwatch marking the time it took me to cross over into the land of the healed, Crowds on either side cheering with dollar store poster boards announcing, you did it, you're healed, this way to the beer tent. I can say instead that I am more healed, that I will continue to be more and more healed as my life continues. 
more healed so that I can laugh at a joke or even tell one, more healed so that I could possibly be disappointed or even disappoint someone. The mind has to do what it needs to to survive after all. I am out of the eye. I am more healed. I can remember loss. I can be grateful. I can accept help. I no longer need to grasp onto control as a distraction from my helplessness. I can remember without falling apart. I am grateful for the new life I now have as a result of my poetry, a life I never imagined, a life where, like my friend Lauren prophesied, I can remember that time my dad left my mother horrified after he ate a ramekin of butter at a nice restaurant just because I dared him to, and I can laugh about it. In a way, my dad lives on through my poems, through these poems, and if there is a balloon archway with red and gold banners with healed blazoned across them. These poems inch me closer, one stanza, one line, one word at a time. Gloria Steinem said, the final stage of healing is using what happens to you to help other people. That is healing in itself. Now I am overlooking the valley from the summit of Mount Grief. I understand why so many people reached out to help in the beginning. Their help was a manifestation of their own healing. Help, it turns out, heals both the helper and the helped. Now I feel like I can navigate other cars on this highway, like the driver whose job it is to navigate traffic through a construction zone. I write about this grief. I speak about this grief. I make art about this grief. Being able to find meaning from the worst thing that has ever happened in my life lets me know I am surviving now. I'm no longer floating with my chin above water, hoping a great white ends my misery. I wouldn't even say I'm simply treading water. I'm swimming. I'm swimming and enjoying each stroke forward. Whatever my curiosities are, I follow them. Then I figure out how I will use my curiosities to help other people. It doesn't numb the pain into oblivion, but it helps me feel like I can keep walking on this path of life, that my legs are no longer cement pillars. It helps me feel like I'm honoring my dad without letting myself slip through the quicksand of grief. And on some days, when my heart is open to it, it even brings me joy. Thank you. And the last poem, or the next poem I'm going to read is Halfway. I knew I'd never see my father again after he died. But I asked him every night he spent in his hospice bed to please haunt me or send me signs from the other side. I didn't realize he was waiting for me on the moon. When I flew there in a hot air balloon one night, he stood smiling, full-bodied, when I opened the hatch. We bounded together, weightless, marveling at our bare feet caked in gray dust. I woke to the sound of my own laughter, grateful I figured out how to meet him halfway. Thank you. Thank you.
Wow. Amory, did you learn about yourself as a result of writing Javad Bai? Who are you now? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I learned so much about myself. Um, you know, we're, we're stronger than we think we are. We're stronger than we think we're capable of being. And in a way, we don't have a choice but to be strong. But another thing that I learned is that I have an extensive love army around me, supporting me. So many people came out of the woodwork, people who I would consider a step up from a stranger whose name I know, but whose other, otherwise I don't know anything about their life through and provided meals and groceries, kind words, um, support in many different ways and capabilities. And I was really astounded by the level at which people extended themselves to me, even people that I, I wouldn't have said that we were close friends, that they really went above and beyond and out of their way in order to show me kindness and support during this experience. And, and that allowed me to then feel like I could be more vulnerable and express more and share more. And then in turn, people responded positively to that vulnerability with their own vulnerability or mm-hmm. saying, thank you for sharing this. I, I feel all the feelings or I know exactly uh, what that feels like I'm experiencing myself or um, a, a variety of different ways that I have connected with people as a result of this book has been surprising. And I, I would never have, maybe I would have hoped, but to the extent that it has happened, I, I wouldn't have guessed. Mm. So I would say that I've I've learned that I'm, I'm capable of a lot more than I ever thought that I was and that people are, are so loving. They really, they really are. And they want to be loving and they want opportunities to show love and kindness. And Mm. part of that connection building is also accepting their help and their love and their kindness. So when they say, Oh, can I do anything for you? Instead of saying, Oh no, I'm fine saying, mm-hmm. yes, actually, I need, I need you to listen to me scream, <laughs> or mm-hmm. I really could use groceries and I don't want to go to the grocery store, or um, being open and honest and people will follow through and then you have this deeper connection with people that you would never have imagined having. Wow. I know, based on what you've shared, that you started this part of your life in terms of writing poetry not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Do you think you were meant to be a poet? Um, yes. <laughs> Tell me more. Um, I, I feel that I didn't even have a choice in the matter. I feel like poetry chose me. Okay. Why was it that on um, December 13th, 2019, when my 
father was rushed to the hospital with sepsis and pneumonia on top of his lung cancer, that I was sitting on the little sofa next to his hospital bed at two in the morning while he was unconscious and having IV drip antibiotics coursing through his veins. Why did I decide to write a poem on the back of a receipt in my purse when Mm -hmm. I had never written poetry before in my life? Why did I, why did I have this instinct to borrow a pen from the nurse's station because I didn't even have a pen to convey how I felt through a poem. Mm -hmm. And and that's not to say that I had never appreciated poetry, that I had never uh, read a poem in my life or anything. I just never had an inkling to write my own. And why then suddenly in this moment, I, I can't explain it. And so it really feels like poetry chose me and said, poetry is your life now. Grab a pen. Mm -hmm. Mm. Wow. You know, we've come to the end of our poetic journey. Where can listeners purchase Survived By? Um, so Survive Spy is available through my publisher at CuriousCorvidPublishing.com. Mm-hmm. And um, they actually sold out. So the initial oh, printing wow. sold out um, pretty quickly. There were a lot of pre-orders. Mm-hmm. And then after it went on sale, it, it sold out pretty, pretty quickly. But they are having more copies stocked. And they will also have signed copies. And I will be going on tour this summer. So I'll be mm-hmm. traveling around the mid-Atlantic, Midwest, and the Mountain West and Pacific Northwest. And I'll have copies of my book with me as well at, at, at those events. And you can keep track of where I'm going to be reading and um, doing writing workshops on my website, annemariewellswriter.com. I have an, an events tab um, that people, if you're in an area outside of Washington, D.C., that maybe I'll be in your neighborhood and you would want to, um, you would want to catch a workshop or, or listen to me read or um, purchase a book directly from me, then I can sign it in front of you. Mm. Emery, what's next for you? Where do you come from here creatively? Mm-hmm. Um, so my next chapter is... Uh, collection of poetry that I'm working on. I've, I've had other works in progress that I've been fiddling with, but the big project on my horizon is I, I'm, I'm also trying to experiment with hybrid works and utilizing found poetry. And it's a collection titled Mother, Verb, and mm-hmm. it's a, an exploration of themes of infertility, pregnancy loss, and wanting to be a mother and struggling to become one. And it's inspired by my own story. It's also inspired by many stories from folks who are in my network of experiences that they've had. And um, it's it's going to be, uh, I wouldn't say mixed media, but Mm-hmm. I have found poems that are created from pregnancy test instructions and ovulation test kits, pr- 
instructions, and I have erasure poems from medical correspondences, and I it, it won't be a memoir in verse the way that Survived By is, but I, mm-hmm. I hope it to be more of a hybrid work that each page will look completely different from the one before, that it'll be a collection of poetry, but that it'll also be a visual collection as well, that each poem will have such a different form and structure on the page that it'll be, uh, I, I want readers to have an enthusiasm for turning the page and that each page will feel like a surprise about what's on it. Wow. I want to thank you for spending time with me, sharing about yourself and the book. I'm sure your dad is so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I'm sure your father is proud of you as well. (laughs) I'll find out in about 10 minutes. (laughs) I'm sure that he's grateful to have you there as well. Yes. Yes, I, I love my dad, and, and any opportunity that I have to spend with him, I do it. Mm-hmm. Yes, and You're, and later on, you will be very grateful for that time. Yes, and Thank you one of that. the things, one of the things that has helped me mm-hmm. is knowing that when I had the time, I spent it with him. Wow, that I don't have yeah. any regrets thinking, oh, I I wish I had said this or I wish I had done that. I had I had the time to say what I needed to say, mm-hmm. to express what I needed to express. Mm-hmm. And I write in my poem that um uh in my in my collection that people don't have the luxury of that that interim period, which comes with its own blessings and curses when loved ones die of ruptured aneurysms or heart attacks or overdoses Mm -hmm. or suicides or car accidents that take them from them without any kind of warning. And I, I write in, in my poem, I am grateful for the doom. I'd rather share my time with the dread than have no time at all. Wow. And and having that having that glimmer of gratitude as I write in my book mm-hmm. allows me to feel okay now. It allows me to reflect on that time and say, yes, I did share that time with dread and with the doom, but I mm-hmm. had that time and uh, and I spent that time cherishing every moment like it was our last because it was. Wow. And I, I did share cherish with, every moment. Well, I was going to say that I share with my dad this morning as I was feeding him. I love you, Dad. He mm-hmm. said, Michael, I love you too. I love you too. <laughs> so. Mm. It's so important. It's so yes, important. It yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Your poetic star is on the rise. And I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you. Thank you. I, I you, hope that I can touch readers with this work. And I, I hope that, um, that in the ways that 
reading other people's poems helped me to heal, that these poems help other people to heal as well. Well, you touched me. <laughs> and Thank if you, you ever want to come back and read from your new manuscript, you're welcome to do Just let me know. Thank you. Thank you. I, I will I'll give you a jingle. All right. You don't need to wait till it's published. If you want to read from it, you can do it here. All right. Great. Thank you so much. All right. <laughs> Survive by by Anne Marie Wells. Purchase it today. All right, everyone. As I share with you every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night, Anne Marie. Good night. Thank you for having me. No, thank you. All right. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.